Welcome to Antioch Raleigh's weekly online sermon. We hope that you are encouraged by this word. For more information on Antioch Raleigh or access to our other online sermons, visit us at AntiochRaleigh.com. All right, welcome everybody. It's so great having y'all. My name is Chris Jolly. Uh, my wife and I are the college pastors for Antioch Raleigh. If you have... Woo! Yeah. <laughs> We have uh, two little helpers, Aiden and Rose, which you'll get photos later, but not now. Uh, they'll tie into my sermon in a little bit, so they'll get a little sneak peek. Uh, we love what we're doing, and if we haven't met you before, we would love to meet you, get to know you. Uh, we were out for a few months uh, because twins took a lot of time, and we are trying to figure out how to get them here. Uh, but it worked. We're here. They're here. They're listening, uh, which is great. They're really good listeners, FYI. It's incredible. Um, So I want to give you an overview of what we're going to go through today, a little bit of a structure, and then we're going to jump right in. So the title of my message is Moved with Compassion. It's a move with compassion. If you have a subtitle, if you wanted that, it would be Evangelism for Those Who Are Not Evangelists. And if evangelism, you already felt a little heavy, my goal is to help alleviate that burden. So everyone just take a deep breath. Let it out. It's Okay. We're going to talk about evangelism. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, because Steve had a few words that he felt were for our congregation specifically in the year of 2022, that he believes and we believe that in this year, we would receive a renewed love for those who are lost and outside the family. And that we're motivated by love to love those who are lost. And that we receive that from Jesus. So I'm going to read a verse that... You can read in a way that can feel condemning or feel like you don't, it's hard to obey or you have to will yourself to obey it. And hopefully through uh, this time, you get a fresh take on this verse and have a practical application for your life. This is Matthew 9, uh, 35 through 38. If you want to turn into your Bibles or flip over, it'll also be on the screen. At some point, it'll be on the screen. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, or evangelizing, if you want to, you know, just evangelism, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful. But the laborers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I've read that verse for the past 10 years, part of a uh, missional church that makes disciples. And I've read that with feeling shame or condemnation that I am not going out and willing enough to go and share. Or that Jesus is essentially saying, you aren't willing, so pray that you end up becoming willing. I've, I've interpreted it that way, and hopefully today, that as we read the scriptures, I give you a little bit of a different interpretation, because I don't think the main point that Jesus is getting at is the lack of your will, but how he wants you to have his Father's heart. He didn't say, I'm moved with compassion. The disciples looked at him, and they could see something, something about him as he looked at the crowds. They looked at his face. They looked at his demeanor and his body, and Matthew could say, he's being moved with compassion. And then out of that overflow of compassion, after seeing the crowds, 
Then he tells his disciples, I'm looking at the harvest and it's plentiful, and they lack laborers. The laborers, what's required of them is that they be moved with compassion as well. And the way that you get moved with compassion is you get to know your father and you start praying to him. So we're going to get to that in a second. It might have been a little heavy. Uh, I'm going to give you my five little points I'm going to run through, lighthearted pictures and some fun with Aiden and Rose, and then we're going to jump back into it. All right, the first thing is you have to look to Jesus. The disciples were, and that's our model for how we do evangelism, is we look to Jesus. Two, I already gave it away. We're receiving the Father's affection for us. And as we receive it for us, the next thing is that you see his affection for others. And I'm going to share a testimony about hospitality and have some practicals. And I'm going to do that in a short amount of time. Uh, it'll be great. We'll see how far we get. All right. Um, I have a question for you. When you think of God, does spontaneous love arise in your heart for him? When, when you think about God, what emotions are you imagining that he has toward you. And when you think about that, are you more fearful or are you really thankful? And for a long time in my own life, I imagined that God was on his throne, equally frustrated and angry with me as he was loving. Where I could read scripture where it says, but God, being full of grace and full of mercy because of the love with which he loved us, saved us. And think, yes, because he loves me. I have that in my mind. Yes, I know he loves me. He loves me. We sing it. It's all in the scriptures. But in my heart, I had this idea that God was equally like angry as he was loved, that they're kind of balanced. And something that Steve has shared before uh, is that we can be more Greek in our thinking than Hebraic. And so I'm going to give you some uh, Greek definitions that I find really interesting. Uh, when it says that Jesus was moved with compassion, it's one word and it's the verb form of compassion. I don't know how we put that into English. So you do move with compassion. Your translations might say felt or had. But it is the verb form of compassion. It's compassion going into action. And the Greeks, it's a Greek word, so Greeks gave definition to it. They thought that that word, it means your inner being. It's like your spleen, your, your heart, everything that's deep inside of you. They thought that was the seat of violent passions, equally love and equally anger. But the Hebrews, they knew that that word for compassion, the deep inner being, was actually the place of tender affections, compassion, kindness, mercy. This is the depth of the heart of God. That if you were to go and say, what, what is overflowing out of the heart of God? It's compassion and it's mercy. He says it of himself that he's slow to anger. He didn't say, I have steadfast love for you and anger. He says, I, in the midst of my steadfast love, I am slow to anger. This is where some photos are going to come in. Uh, I've been a father for just about a little over two months uh, with Grace and I being parents, and it's been a joy. And so I have very, very limited experience. But one major thing that I learned was that before uh, preaching, I didn't like to use illustrations, and then I had kids, and the only thing I can think of is illustrations now. Uh, and they can't even understand me yet. Uh, so what I've learned is I do not understand the love of God 
as much as I need to. I have no clue how much he loves me. Man, um, dang it. <laughs> I can't tell you how excited I am just to see my kids look at me, and they're babies that can't do anything. They just look. I mean, like seeing him smile, you can show some photos of Aiden and Rose. Um, little, <laughs> little nuggets. That's how we have a little bassinet that we, you know, we don't have a, uh, that's our stroller, just together. Look at the cute little faces. All right, I think the next one of Aiden. I look at that face, and spontaneous love arises in my heart for him. I love him, and I'm his dad. I'm slow to anger, and I get frustrated at night because he cries, and it can be really hard at 2 a.m. when you have minimal sleep, and you want to be really compassionate and loving. But all it takes is him, like, crying and going hysterical, and then he, like, passes out, and I just see his, like, still face, and it just overflows of, of love. I love him. Oh, and my little girl, Rosie, she's so cute. <laughs> love Rosie, um, same thing. And they just started being able to like emote a little bit. They'll smile. And that is the most entertaining thing I could do is just try to get them to smile and look at me. And my heart is that I want my overflowing love for them, for them to respond in loving me. But I have no expectations for them to love me without me first loving them. How much more is our Heavenly Father the same way? That we love because He first loved us, and it's an overflowing love. That He's just excited to look at us. Um, I think, was there any photos? Oh, uh, Saturday morning. <laughs> this is Saturday morning. <laughs> uh, <laughs> when they can't sleep, it's a. Uh, I want to get some sleep. I'm trying to sleeping on Saturdays, so Grace pops in my arms like that, and it's a, it's it's a lot of fun. Uh, they're adorable. They're they're great. Uh, we've had many college students come over on Fridays and help out with the kids, which has been a lot of fun. And so they've gotten to know um, our little ones, and uh, it's been it's been a sweet sweet journey so far. Only two months in, but all right. So if I, as Jesus would say, uh, a father, though. In, in Jesus, not evil, but although a father evil know how to do good towards my kids, how much more will our heavenly father give when we ask? How much more, how much more will our heavenly father respond to us because he's a good, good father? All right, we're going to read Exodus 34, 6 through 7. This is the most repeated and requoted scripture in the entire Bible, okay? So if something is repeat, re- repeated, it's really, really, really important. Uh, and this is God himself explaining and expressing who he is. It says, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God compassionate, gracious, slow to anger. He's overflowing with loyal love and faithfulness, and he maintains loyal love for thousands. He forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Yet he won't declare innocent the guilty. He will bring the iniquities of the fathers upon the children and the grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. This is how our God, our King, our Father, describes himself about who he is and what comes out of him. But if you're like me, I can read those words, and that just seems like a list of words. So let's get a different picture about his affections towards us. I don't know about you, but I can have an idea of, here's love, here's compassion, here's grace, here's a bunch of lists of words, but when it comes to affections for me, I, might have a, I don't have a really good picture. You know, like, what, what picture am I supposed to get from that? 
thank God for Scripture. So we're going to read Zephaniah 3.17 to get a little picture about how God responds to us. All right, it says, The Lord your God is in your midst. He's a mighty one to save. He will rejoice over you with gladness, and he will quiet you with his love, and he'll rejoice over you with singing. This is who our God is. If you have an idea when you worship him that he's seated on his throne like, Yes, like more. Thank you. You know, like if that's your imagination of who God is, he isn't seated. He's rejoicing with gladness over you and he's singing over you because he loves you. And that's how the overflow of who he is. He is ecstatic. And Jesus has the same emotions. So when the disciples looked at Jesus, they saw him emote. They they didn't see him like, I have compassion on the crowds. Be more willing. All right, you know, like he looked on the crowds and he had deep emotions in his face. And they can look at him and say, he's being moved deeply to his core. And because they were good Hebrews, they would know what that meant was that he was being moved with the emotions of God, the deep, deep values and characteristics and traits of who our Heavenly Father is. That he is deeply compassionate that he is deeply merciful and gracious and loving and kind and generous. And you think your worship is loud? His is way louder. And he's okay with quieting you just so that he can love you. Sorry for waking up kids. I I know being loud, (laughs) you can get them. So Uh, I happily would love to sing over my kids, but if you all have been close to me singing during worship, I, I can't hear at all, <laughs> what, what, what sounds are happening, but I sing anyway. Um, Grace does a better job at singing over our kids. Uh, but I love, even though I'm terrible at it, to sing or to, which Grace has heard on the monitor and laughed uh, to tears multiple times. I love singing. I love delighting over my kids. I love them. I deeply, deeply love them. I want to rejoice over them. And I'm okay if they're quiet when I'm doing that. I don't need them to do anything other than just to receive my love. And our Heavenly Father is so much greater, and that's his heart towards us. And if you don't receive that heart for you, you won't be able to give it away. Uh, I love the corporate tongue and the uh, prophetic word um, that was shared earlier. That there's a, if you, if you have a bucket and you, you, if you're not overflowing, you can't give. And our, our Father wants us to follow in his ways of having overflowing compassion and grace that we're pouring out to others and that we're going to receive that by first receiving it from him. What you don't have, you can't give away. If you don't receive, you can't give. And we have to receive it uh, from him. All right. So we've got to receive our Father's affections. We've got to see his affection for the lost. So we're going to read, we're going to back up. Uh, Jesus in Matthew 9 at the end, he sees the crowds, he's preaching the good news of the kingdom, he's evangelizing, he's healing the sick, he is, he is performing signs and wonders, looks at his disciples, and he says, hey, you need to pray, because the, the harvest is it's plentiful. Pray that the Lord is sending you to the harvest. But let's look at how Jesus evangelized, moving back a little bit in Matthew, and go to Matthew chapter, uh, verse 9, Matthew 9, verse 9. So we're going to look at Jesus' evangelism. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So Matthew arose and followed him. 
Now it happened, as Jesus sat at the table of Matthew's house, doesn't say that in this portion of Matthew, but we know that from Luke. Um, As he's in Matthew's house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard that, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. And he quotes Hosea 6.6, which Ben gave a uh, quoted last week. If you haven't listened to his sermon, go listen to it last week. It's about loving God. Uh, he says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. So as Jesus was on his way, he sees Matthew and he says, hey, come follow me. And we can read that and say, okay, let's, let's like put ourselves into what is happening in this environment. Jesus has been in a city for a while teaching in the synagogues. So Jesus probably has seen Matthew before, seen him as he's listened to Jesus' sermons. He's probably seen him as he's walked around, and he sees something in Matthew where he said, no, you, you're going to be one of my disciples that goes and makes other disciples. But the Pharisees looked and saw Matthew as a tax collector, and potentially his own people looked and saw Matthew the tax collector as their enemy. He was collecting taxes for Rome, and they were under Roman occupation. And it was, they made a lot of money, hence he had a house he invited a lot of people to. Uh, they would usually extort or take more than they needed. And then it says that tax collectors and sinners came to the house with Jesus. That means that as you were looking around, apparently you could identify people who had sinners and identify people as tax collectors. And the Pharisees said, I want nothing to do with them. And why was Jesus motivated to one, call Matthew? And then when Matthew said, now that you've called me, no, 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 I want you to come to my home and eat with me. It's because Jesus is deeply moved with compassion. That Greek word, the the verb, move with compassion, it is exclusively used in reference to Jesus in the Gospels. That's it. The only time it's not is when a father says, Jesus, would you be moved with compassion to heal my son? So it's referenced to him. But every single time, it's referenced to Jesus. And a few times, it's not even him saying it. It's them looking at him and seeing it on his face. He's moved with compassion where he sees someone that could be potentially an enemy and he loves them. That's why in Matthew 5 and in Luke 6, Jesus says, you've heard it said this way. You shall love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you so that you would prove to be children of God. Because that's how your father responds. He is merciful and you need to be merciful like he's merciful. He's perfect, so you shall be perfect as he is perfect. And that can feel weighty when you hear that. But when you see your father and see his love and see his affection, that changes you to where you start embodying the characteristics and trait of who he is. You cannot will your way to mercy. And you can't will your way to love. You will be loved into loving other people. He will love you, and that out of that overflow of love, you will show love. As you receive mercy, you'll give mercy. But you have to first encounter it with him. And so this happens with Matthew. He encounters the love and compassion of Jesus, and he invites his friends over, and we get a great picture into religiosity and the ways of Jesus, where he says, I'm willing to eat with you. 
I want to be with you. And I'm okay with you telling me whatever you think. And I'll give you truth right back. But I'm going to love you in the midst of it. We know that Matthew felt very loved. And we know sinners and tax collectors did because it drew near to Jesus, but not to the Pharisees. The Pharisees had truth. Jesus didn't really rebuke them for their truth. He rebuked them for their lack of love and lack of affection. All right, I have a quick testimony. So Dr. Champagne was about to finish her tenure book to become a tenured professor. Uh, She was a liberal leftist, and she was living with her partner, um, and she was enjoying life. It was, life was to the full. Uh, Had a great job. She and her partner did a lot together. They uh, had a lot of charities. They worked um, to advance children getting fed. They, their, their life was full, and they didn't have any lack. And after getting a tenure position, Dr. Champagne turned from what she already accomplished and said, all right, the next thing I'm going to take out is Christians for how they treat and view me. So she wrote an article that got published in her local newspaper, a scathing rebuke of Christianity and specifically a movement called Promise Keepers. And she got a lot of hate mail and a lot of love in response. So she had these two Xerox boxes that were filling and piling up with one that was love, like, way to go, that was awesome, you did great. And then another one of like, you're going to (laughs) burn, you will burn in hell, you know, and like that kind of stuff, and a bunch of hate, and she's had both at her table. But then she got one letter that didn't accuse her, that didn't try to defend Christianity or what they believed, but was kind and asked really good questions and inquired. Says, okay, you made that, what, what is undergirding your presupposition? Do you know that you're right? And how do you, how'd you come to believing that you're right? Do you believe in God? Different questions that a professor would love to study and think about, like, okay, well, yes, this is an intellectual ascent, so I'll, I'll take him up on that. But she threw it away. But it ate at her. So these two, she has two piles, and then one in the trash. <laughs> at the end of the day, she said, something in her was like, interesting. So she took it, and it ate away at her for a week. And so she finally reached out to him, because he invited her over for dinner with his family. He's a local pastor. So she started going over, and she's like, great, more research. I got like an inside person. And she knew if she was going to critique what people believed, she had to read why they have those beliefs. So she started reading the Bible. And they had dialogues and conversations, and this pastor and his wife entered into her world where they started having book exchanges, and they'd have dinner, and she got to know them, and he got to know, they got to know her friends. They were in each other's world, and she was reading Scripture continually. And through being loved and asked questions and being prayed for, over two years, she started getting convicted of her lifestyle. And one of her friends pulled her over one day and said, what you're reading is changing you. You're not the same anymore. And her response was, What if it's true? What if Jesus did rise again from the grave? What if if it's true? And as she read and as scripture was convicting her heart and she didn't want to let go of her old life and everything was being ripped away, she came to Jesus and her life got transformed. Um, All because the the way this, this couple evangelized was the exact same way as Jesus. He invited them over to their home. Um, they, they invited her into their home. Jesus invites 
people, unbelievers, believers, people who feel like they're his enemy, anyone, he invites into their home to eat with them, or he'll happily go over to your house. <laughs> he loves being with you at the table to, to talk, to eat food. Food's the greatest love language in the world. Uh, Torchy's Tacos got here, and it's been, it's been incredible. Something from Texas, love it. If you all haven't experienced Torchy's Tacos, you're missing out. Uh, it's in Little North Raleigh. Uh, but there's something about food that just invites us into having conversation and being open. And when you think of evangelism, I want you to think about that story. That it's not just, yes, there's a, there's a reality of, of preaching and sharing and teaching the word. Uh, there's a, I think, I'll submit this to you and let you judge it for yourself. A common phrase that I've heard that I think is not biblically accurate of, um, like, share the gospel when necessary, use words kind of like deal, like how you're living that should we share the gospel, but scripture says like if they don't hear, how can they know? So do you need words? Um, and that's the only way we communicate, so I don't know. Uh, but when you communicate in words, the reason why that's effective when you invite people over your house is because you actually care and you're loving the person in front of you. She felt loved and she felt accepted and brought in before she started following Jesus. She belonged before she believed and behaved. People belonged with Jesus in the midst of them being really, really messed up. And if he was perfect and had perfect truth and they felt love to be with him, how much more should we have that same deep overflowing love for people that invites people in? Or where they feel so loved by us that they want to invite us over to their house? Uh, her, her name was um, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield. She lives in Durham, North Carolina with her husband. She has a few books that they're good. I have not read them, so I can't uh, vouch for them as my own uh, own reading, but my wife has, and I know people on staff have read it. So, therefore, Gospel Comes to the House Key. It's a book on hospitality and how to be relational in sharing the gospel. And I think that that is evangelism for everyone who doesn't feel like an evangelist. But when you invite people over and when you have conversation, I'm going to give you two practicals for how to make those rhythms in your life. One, already look at what rhythms you have. For college students, you have people in your classes, you have neighbors. Uh, for those who have kids, I know it looks a little different. I know your life is full. My life feels full with two newborns. We don't have sports yet, you know, so I don't know what's going to happen when, when that happens or when, you know, just a lot, life happens. But what are people already in your rhythm, whether it's neighbors, people who already go to school, people your, fr- uh, your kids are friends with, looking for people who are already in rhythm and forming relationship and then being willing to listen and to understand where they're coming from and asking good questions. So I would say dialogue, having dialogue with people requires two components. Inquiry, so you're asking good questions and you're also becoming a good listener. If evangelism, if your evangelism does not have asking questions and listening, you are not doing it the way of Jesus. Repent. (laughs) You need to ask questions and you need to listen. Jesus asks a ton of questions all the time. He has all the answers. He doesn't need to ask questions, but he's asking questions because he desires relationship. But the second component is advocacy, that you're willing to advocate for what you believe and you know why you believe what you believe. And if you don't feel you have tools for that, I would encourage you to get discipled and to join a discipleship group, join a life group. Uh, We have life groups that meet throughout the city. If you're not in a life group, we'd love for you to join one and be in community. Uh, There's life groups for every single age group, and they're fantastic. It's a great way of Going, going deeper in community, uh, for learning how to follow Jesus. And th- th- these, 
you know, practical parts of evangelism, which I won't get into today, uh, if you want to go through like apologetics or uh, how to share the gospel, like all those different points, I think that is best done in the context of relationship with someone. Um, not just someone giving you, hey, here's the boom, 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 this is what you need to do. Um, what you need to do is learn how to love like Jesus. You need to learn how to ask questions like Jesus. And then you also need to learn how to advocate for truth like Jesus did. He was full of mercy and he never compromised the truth. He was full of love. He was full of grace. People loved being around him. And he never, ever, ever, ever gave someone something easy to do in truth. He loved them and then said, go and sin no more. That's intense. He said, oh, you, if you want to follow me, I don't have a home. Uh, you'll be with me homeless. Uh, he, he gave them very, very high standards. But in the midst of that, they stuck with him because they were deeply loved by him. And life was being transformed by him. So I'll go over these practicals one more time um, with an overview of, of Matthew 9, 35 through 38. Jesus said, therefore pray. Um, so the first thing to get a heart of compassion is that you need to pray. You need to, get, you need to get time with him in learning from him how he loves others. As you pray, you need to see how he sees other people. You need to see the Jesus who sees the crowds and his face and his heart and his being is moved with compassion. You need to spend time with him where you're that close with him, where you're feeling his emotions for other people. And as you see him love people, you will also begin to love others. So you need to pray. And it's not praying to be more willing. It's praying that you would receive his love and be transformed by his love and then pour out his love. Second thing, reflect on your rhythms. Who's already in your rhythms, walking on your way, that God might be highlighting? Jesus was aware. He, he, he saw Matthew. That's really important. He saw the crowds. He, he wasn't distracted. He was looking for the lost. He was looking for people that he could call and say, come and follow me and come to get to know me. So in your rhythms, are you looking for those around who are already in their rhythms. You don't need to go out of your rhythms. You already are in touch point with people that God wants to reach because he loves them. And then invite them in your home for dinner. I don't know how to cook really well. Grace says, praise God. Uh, but I did this one time with uh, a guy in my class. Uh, I was feeling convicted for not just loving my, the simple guys in my, uh, we had a programming project. I was like, I need to love these guys. So I invited them over for dinner, uh, made pasta, super easy, you know. I thought it was easy. Uh, so I made an pasta, and we just talked and hung out. And that was, that, that's a simple rhythm. Invite people over to have food. And if they invite you over, go over and have food. <laughs> Jesus, that's what Jesus did. He entered into people's lives. He didn't just share and walk away. He entered into their lives. Third thing is engage in dialogue. Learn how to ask good questions and learn how to listen well. And also, learn how to advocate for what you believe and why you believe. And if you need help on that, the fourth thing is to ask for wisdom. Ask for understanding, ask for knowledge. There's a, a wide, deep uh, well of people in this congregation that would love to pour into you. If you feel like you have lack on how to share or if you, if you feel like you have lack and don't have understanding, there is a wealth of wisdom in this room. So ask. And ask your heavenly father who is really generous. Because in the same way that he loves you, he loves those around you. All right.
I'm going to share the three parables, and I'm going to, I'm going to summarize one. And every single one, the marker was this action verb that moved with compassion. The first one, when asked, what does it mean to love my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? Jesus shares the parable of the good Samaritan. Yes, the Samaritan. The marking piece of the Samaritan over everyone else is when he saw the one that was beaten on the side, his move with compassion. Another parable that Jesus said is the kingdom of heaven is like this. There's a king and he's settling all his debts. There are people who are indebted to him. And a guy comes to him, and he has $30 billion of debt. And he's just a servant. And, he said, and the king says, hey, I'm requiring your debt. And he goes, well, have mercy on me. I, I promise I'll pay it back. Just let me work it back. <laughs> $30 billion. I'll work it back. Trust me, it's fine. <laughs> I'm, I'm good. And it says the king was moved with compassion and forgave him his debt. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. We are deeply in debt to God because of our sin. And we can't lower that standard. That's his standard, his righteousness, his justice. But because he has deep compassion and mercy, the debt we couldn't pay, he says, I'm paying it for you. Then the third parable is the parable of the prodigal son. The father was moved with compassion. These, these action verbs of being moved with compassion, that is how Jesus is, the laborers that Jesus is raising up. Those are the laborers that Jesus desires to send out into the harvest, is that are men and women who are moved deeply with his compassion because they have been impacted by his compassion for them. That's our king. And the end result is that he would make a people who love their enemies spontaneously. The way that Jesus, when he died on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. That is reflected, and we see that in Stephen. He's being stoned to death because he testified about Jesus. And he has no option. He can't think. His will is not functioning as he's being hit with stones that are slowly taking his life. And what comes out of him is overflowing compassion. He says to, to God, don't hold this sin against them. As he's being murdered, he's saying, don't hold the sin against them. In the Latin, mercy means price paid. He's saying that Jesus already paid the price for that sin, and then he paid it with his own blood for them. Don't hold this against them. That's the kind of people that are God, that are king, that Jesus is raising up, that we're overflowing with compassion and saying, and for your sin, for your shame, someone paid that price. And I want to show you through being here present with you through my life. And everyone can stand. Uh, life group leaders and elders, if y'all can come up. If you need prayer for anything, whether that's to receive and encounter the love of God, you can't manufacture your way of encountering the love of God. And you can't emote your way to him. Uh, it's through the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit um, says, the Holy Spirit pours out the love of the Father into your heart. If you need a fresh encounter and just know how deeply God loves you, come and receive prayer. If you need prayer to have a deep love and affection for those around you, come and receive prayer. If you need prayer for anything, any healing, 
if you need to confess sin, anything, come and receive prayer. If you lack wisdom, you lack understanding, if you feel anything that the Holy Spirit is doing in your heart, come and receive prayer. But I'm gonna end by praying for y'all and for us that we would people, be a people that deeply, deeply know the compassion and love of our Father. Yeah. Jesus, we thank you that you are our model and that you are a king. Jesus, we thank you that you are the exact imprint. You are the exact rep- representation of the nature and character of our Heavenly Father. That when we see you, Jesus, that we see our Heavenly Father. We thank you for your, your infinite mercy, your loyal love. We thank you that you're compassionate and gracious and that you're kind and that you're generous. We thank you that you love to pour out everything that we need upon us, that you are willing to pour it out. We thank you for your love. We thank you that you died for us. And Jesus, we ask that we would see your love, receive your love, and walk in your love, that we'd be led by your love, that we'd be a people marked by your love, that we would overflow with your love. To Holy Spirit, I ask for wisdom and revelation to be poured out upon our hearts that we would know who the Father is, that we'd know the emotions and the affections and the joy of our Father. Jesus, we thank you for um, we thank you for saving us. We thank you that you make a table for us to eat with you. We thank you for communion. We thank you that you are God with us, that you walk with us, that you're here with us. In Jesus' name, amen.